Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Good morning. Since God wants believers to be like Christ, we pray in Jesus' name when we pray for believers to be like Christ. That's God's word for us today. Did you hear about the man who was riding on the train? He was short, or I guess I should say vertically challenged. No, I'm going to say short. He was a short guy, and uh, he was riding along talking to the man beside him, and he said, you know, I got a problem. The next town that we come to is the town I live in, and I want to get off there, but the train doesn't stop there. And if I go to the next town and I Uber back, it costs me a 100 bucks. The guy beside him said, I got an idea. The train always slows down to pick up the mailbag. It doesn't stop at the station, but it slows down. So how about if I just hold you out the window as we come to the platform and I'll drop you on the platform and you just run and, and run to a stop. And the guy thought, hey, it's worth saving a hundred bucks. So they come, the train slows down. The man drops him out, and sure enough, he lands on the platform. He's running, and he sees the guy, and he wants to thank him. So he's just waving at him and waving at him as he's running along the platform. And a man in the car behind him sees the guy, reaches out his window, picks him up, pulls him in, and says to him, Today's your lucky day. You almost missed the train. (laughs) Well, life is like that sometimes. It takes us places we didn't plan to go. We can't always control what happens to us. In fact, very rarely can we control what happens to us. That's why we need passages like Romans 8, 26 to 30. And I invite your attention there. In the same way, the Spirit helps us with our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things... God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Well, let me set the context for you as we continue in our 40 days of prayer. And this week in which we're talking about praying 
for believers to be Christ-like. Romans 8, 26 to 30 is part of a longer paragraph that really runs from 18 to 30, and it focuses on two things. First, it focuses on the future glory of believers in Christ. That's verses 18 to 25. Then these particular verses that we're going to look at focus on what God provides for us while we wait. So here's the context. Here's the setting. There is going to be a day. There is going to be an awesome day. God is going to bring us to glory. We are going to be perfect. There's going to be no more sin, no more suffering, no more sorrow. It's going to be life eternal with God. It's going to be heaven. It's going to be great. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's the promise you have. No matter what this life brings, nothing can touch that and stop that if you're in Christ. It's great. It's wonderful. We've got glory. However, and here's the rub, we're not there yet. We have to wait for that glory to come true. Because we live in a world of sin and suffering, we don't always experience that glory every day. We're waiting for God to fully reveal it. And here's the cool thing. God didn't just leave us here alone. He didn't just say, yeah, I'm going to take you to heaven one day and everything's going to be wonderful and perfect. I mean, between now and then, you just figure it out. No, there are some helps, there are some supports that God gives us while we wait for that glory. In fact, there are two of them that we're going to look at this morning. So let's consider two ways God supports us while we wait for his plan to unfold. His plan is going to unfold. It always has. Every part of his plan that he's ever put in place has always come true. And this part's going to come true too. We're going to heaven one day. And we're going to be perfect one day. Well, what do we do in the meantime? What did God leave us? First of all, he left us the intercession of the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 and 27 In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So in the same way links the two paragraphs. Just like hope for future glory sustains us when we're weak, so also the Holy Spirit sustains us when we weak. When we're weak. So when we, we, we suffer, we, we have this hope for future glory. And when we're weak, the Holy Spirit sustains us, helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our What does that mean? I think it's very appropriate. I think it speaks of the weakness of being human. I think specifically it speaks of the weakness in prayer. Right? We don't even know how to pray sometimes. We don't know what words to say. We don't know exactly how to pray. But the Spirit does help us. And that word help us, helps us, translated helps us means to come to the aid of someone, to support someone, to, to bear part of their burden is actually what it means. It's, it, for example, in the Old Testament, Moses s- stood from day to night Judging, doing all, making all the decisions and just being worn out. And his father-in-law Jethro 
uh, came to him and said, you know, Moses, it'd really be good for you to, to recruit some people to help you with this and, and put some over fifties and hundreds and et cetera. And then, and then the, the main, the most, the, the most difficult cases, let them come to you. Why don't you do that? And, and look what he said, have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves, that will make your load lighter because they will read those words with me. Share it with you. Those underlined words reflect the same phrase that is in Romans 8. So just like the judges helped Moses, so the Holy Spirit helps us. Verse 26 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us. How? The Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. This is an off-misinterpreted verse. In fact, this whole passage has been misinterpreted at different times. This has nothing to do with praying in tongues. First Corinthians 12.30 teaches that the gift of tongues was given only to certain believers, but this passage is talking to every believer. The context of this passage is things that are true for every single Christian. And you just read it over and over and over, and you see this is for all Christians. So this this isn't about our praying at all, in fact. (laughs) This isn't our praying in some wordless way or groaning way. Who's doing the praying here? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is praying. It's not in the words of another language. It's actually with no words at all. (laughs) Because wordless groans means unspoken or ineffable. So he doesn't even use words at all. Sometimes, Have you ever been frustrated because you felt weak in prayer? I have. Here's the good news. Our weakness in prayer does not frustrate God's will for our lives, does not frustrate God's plan, because we have someone praying for us. You know, here's the cool thing. We're in 40 days of prayer. We're talking a lot about praying in Jesus' name, right? And we're talking about how we should pray for each other, and we're encouraging people to pray for each other, and that's awesome. Don't you love it when somebody calls you or texts you or sees you and says, hey, I prayed for you today or I'm praying for you. Isn't that that a really neat thing when you get, I mean, that just, that's just great. Here's the best news of all. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit's praying for you. Did you hear what I said? (laughs) The Holy Spirit is praying for you. That's what this verse teaches. He is interceding for you. In these wordless groans. And you know, he never gets tired or he never forgets. He never gets weak in prayer. That is such an encouragement to us. And verse 27 helps us understand what he is praying for. He who searches our hearts, that's God the Father, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Although his prayers may be expressed without words, they are not without content. He is praying in accordance with God the Father's will. He is praying that for us believers. Now, the teaching about the Holy Spirit helping us here is so appropriate because 
I, I usually don't give Greek words. I, I, I study and just kind of try to explain it to you. But sometimes there's an actual good reason to do it. And here's one that the, the Greek word for Holy Spirit is parakletos, parakletos. And that Greek word signifies somebody who comforts or consoles or encourages or even intercedes for somebody on somebody's behalf in court. And when they were translating the Bible into the Kari language of Africa, they came to this term, Holy Spirit. They came to the word, you know, they always take the, the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament, and they translate directly from there into the receptor language. So they're trying to think, what's a word that we can use for parakletos, for the Holy Spirit? Because they don't have, they, they don't, <laughs> They don't have an understanding of that in this language. So one day, the translators came across a group of porters going through the bush carrying these very heavy loads, a line of them carrying very heavy loads. And they noticed that there was always one man who never carried anything. He just walked along beside them. And they thought, oh, well... Maybe this guy's the boss. Maybe he's telling them what to do or where to go or whatever. But then they noticed when somebody in the line would fall down because of being totally exhausted in in the high heat, that man had one job. His job was to pick up the man's load and carry it for him. So when they translated the word for Holy Spirit... They took that word. In that language, it was the one who falls down beside us. That's the word they used for the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty good translation. (laughs) And I think that captures what is happening here. This is what God does for us. He helps us in our weakness. So that's one thing that God, that's one way that God supports us while we're waiting for glory. The second thing The second support that we have while we're waiting for God's plan to unfold is the providence of God. Now, let me define that. The providence, when I say the providence of God, that's God's beneficial rule over all the events of life. That's what we mean when we say the providence of God. God's beneficial rule over all the events of life. Verse 28, and we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Who are those who love God? That's just a routine description of Paul for believers. This is the way Paul describes Christians as those who love God. Now, let's notice it's really important on your outline. You'll notice there's some things that this does teach and doesn't teach. Let's let's notice what it does not teach. It is not teach, not that everything that happens in this life is directly caused by God. This verse is not saying that. Romans 8.28 is not saying that God is pulling every string for everything that happens. Now, some things are caused. All things are allowed by God. But this verse is not saying that everything is directly caused by him. It is not saying, secondly, that everything that happens in life is good. Everything that happens in life is not good. And this verse is not saying that. 
The focus here, it's not even like a, sometimes I've heard the illustration, like a cake. You mix in all these different things that don't taste very good. And when you mix them all together, it turns out. It's, it's not even necessarily saying that, that things are just going to somehow turn out. The focus here is on God. It's on what God is doing with everything, the good and the bad. So the focus is on God. It teaches us that God oversees and uses everything for our good. In all things, God works. Not some things, not most things, not many things, but, but all things. Notice, as we continue in the context, what good is and isn't. <laughs> good is not uh, selfish advancement or benefits, but it's God's unbreakable plan. In other words, you know, this final glory, there's a process here and God has believers in a process and he saves us and he is going to take us all the way to heaven and he's going to glorify us along the way. And it's going to be fully realized when we get to heaven, he's got a process that he's accomplishing. And he's saying everything is working together to good to make us like Christ in that process. It's, this is God's unbreakable plan. So sometimes we, we use Romans 8, 28 in the wrong way. We try to encourage people. Maybe it comes out of good motive and we try to encourage people, but we add some non-biblical things to it. So for instance, somebody loses their job and, and you might say to them, oh, well, don't worry. God, God works everything for good. God's going to give you a better job. Or maybe you're engaged and you're excited and you're ready to get married. And two weeks before the wedding, your engagement is broken. Your fiancé breaks your heart and breaks the engagement. And you might say to them, don't worry, God's got somebody better for you. This is not a promise that every experience in life is going to lead to good in this life. Sometimes we try to comfort people by encouraging them that there's going to be good that comes out in this life. But the good in mind in this passage may have to do with the next life, exclusively or primarily. For example, you may lose a secure job with a great salary, not so God can, quote, give you a better job, but he might want to shake you out of a material lifestyle in which you trust your ability to earn money rather than him. You, if your engagement is broken, it's not necessarily because God wants to give you a better looking spouse or a, I didn't say, I said better the first time. (laughs) It may be that God has for you a ministry that you can accomplish better without the entanglements of marriage or the entanglements of marriage to that person. Do you see what I'm saying? Or what this is saying? God's purpose may involve good in this life. It may involve material blessing. But it may not. What is this verse promising us? Doug Moo, in his commentary on Romans, says, essentially, it promises that nothing will touch our lives that is not under the control and direction of our loving Heavenly Father. Everything we do and say, 
Everything people do to us or say about us, every experience we will ever have, all are sovereignly used by God for our good. And beginning in verse 29, Paul himself defines what that good looks like. He doesn't just leave it, verse 28. He doesn't just say all things work together for good and and we fill in the blank what good is. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So it's this, watch this cycle, watch this progress. First of all, God foreknew. God foreknew. There are two ways you can understand this word foreknow. The first one is God knew in advance those who were going to be part of his family and he predestined them for everything else that happens in this verse. That's one legitimate way to understand this. The second way is to understand that God sets his love and his covenant affection on some in advance. And this would be in keeping with the way that God set his love on his people Israel in the Old Testament. He chose them specifically to be his people. And I just want to ask you a question this morning. Can we, for the purpose of what we're doing here today, can we set aside the diverse theological systems that interpret foreknow in these two different ways? Because the two different types of interpretation have led to massive divisions in Christianity all through the centuries. Can we set that aside for a minute and let the text speak for itself? We have a tendency, all of us, no matter what our theological position is, just to read the text through our theological lens that we've already decided what our system is. Let's let the text speak for itself. It's a beautiful, amazing, powerful text designed to comfort and help and instruct us, not designed to answer all our theological questions. Whichever side of the theological spectrum you come down on between God's choosing and human choosing, the emphasis in this passage is on what God does to predetermine a course for believers. It does not explain how he foreknows. So he foreknew, and the ones he foreknew, what did he do? He predestined them to Christ's likeness. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Let me define predestination. Predestination means to decide from the beginning or beforehand. To set apart from the beginning or beforehand. To direct someone to a particular goal. So coaches do this all the time. They decide, this is the kind of team that we're going to have. And they plan their practices. They choose their players. Everything they do is predestined. They're setting a course out and they're following it to develop a certain kind of team. Teachers do it. The beginning of the year, you've got your goal. And what do you do? To accomplish that goal or those goals, you write out lessons, plans. You, you, the teacher, predestines what that class is going to be like. And God's goal for us as Christians is clearly spelled out here in verse 29, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
God wants Christians to look like Jesus, to be like Jesus, to be conformed to his image. That is the good that verse 28 was speaking about. That's what we can promise people with great assurance. That God works things for our good. What is good? Good is being like Christ. That's what God desires. That's what God is working on right now. That's what's going to be ultimately true when we get to heaven. And then in verse 30, those he it keeps going. Those he predestined, he also called. He called. I think this speaks not of a general call to salvation, but of God's effective summoning of us through the gospel into a relationship through Christ. And those he called, he justified. Justified means God declares us to be righteous. We are wrong. We are sinful. We are in the wrong. But God, through his Great work through Jesus Christ on the cross says, I am going to declare you to be righteous. I remember I I haven't had many run-ins with the law, but I've had a few along the way. Not many. But when we moved to Chicago, I can't even remember all the details now. It's weird. We moved up there and, I had, you know, you got to change your license plates from North Carolina to Illinois and... I had the tags and I sent off for the tags and something that got mixed up and I had the tag didn't match my uh, uh, registration card and a police officer pulled me over on the way to school one morning and he, two police officers in fact, I mean, here's this seminary student causing grave danger to the people of Deerfield, Illinois. And gets pulled over and they went through this. And what had happened is the, I think the tag that had been mailed, that's when they actually mailed physical tags. It had been mailed to me, but it was still sitting in my garage. And so what I had didn't match and got tickets and had to go to court. I was wrong. (laughs) I didn't mean to be wrong. I was just wrong. And one of the you know, they were talking about all this hundreds of dollars this was going to cost. And then I told the judge my story. I told him the whole thing. And he just looked at me and said, go, you're free. <laughs> he declared, he justified me. <laughs> he declared me to be right. And that's what God does when he saves us. It's a good place to stop for a minute. Uh, are, are you saved? Are, have you been justified? It, How are we justified? Romans 5 says we're justified by faith in Jesus. So you don't get justified. You don't get declared right with God by being a really good person or by being baptized or confirmed or whatever. You get justified when you realize you're a sinner and you put your faith in Jesus. And if you haven't done that today, I encourage you that today could be the day. Well, those he justified, he glorified Notice all of these are in the past tense. This hasn't happened yet, but it's still in the past tense in English. And the reason why is because it's so certain, it's so certain that it's going to happen that Paul can speak of it as if it was already completed. Well, let me say one more thing about this part of the passage. The doctrine of predestination is biblical, and it's often misunderstood. 
For some people, they get really nervous about predestination. When you use the word, they think, oh, this eliminates human responsibility or it dampens people's fervor for evangelism. But evangelism is not in view in this context. The issue in this context is not who is say, who gets saved and, and who doesn't. I mean, the people Paul is writing to, they're already Christians. <laughs> they're already believers in Christ. Paul is talking here about God's foreknowing and predetermining that Christians are going to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what Paul is talking about here. The main point is to assure us that God has a plan, and his plan is unfolding. He didn't give us this to answer debated theological questions. I'm, I'm so glad we sang the song, Blessed Assurance, this morning. That's part of our musical worship. This gives us assurance. This passage is designed to give us assurance. So there's... The answer for new, predestined to Christ's likeness, called, justified, and glorified. Now, here's a question for you. What does this have to do with the 40 days of prayer? <laughs> Why focus on this passage? There is a connection. And I want to tell you how praying for believers to be Christ-like is praying in Jesus' name. That's what we're doing here in the 40 days of prayer. We're learning what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And we have been saying, and we'll continue to say, that there are four elements to that. It's praying in compliance with his character. It's praying based on his merit. It's praying with his power and authority, and it's praying in line with his priorities and purposes. So let's, let's put those through the grid here and ask, if I'm going to pray for somebody to be like Christ, how does it fit those things? Well, praying in compliance with his character. I mean, that, that one's kind of obvious, right? Because we're praying for people, for their character to match Christ's character, so that's definitely praying in Jesus' name. Praying based on his merits. I would say, see Romans 5 through 8. I wish we had time to go through the whole Romans 5 through 8. What an amazing passage section of Scripture. I quoted part of it, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in hope of the glory of God. Our access to God is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. These people go in the buildings and the office, you know, they've got the tag and they got to put it through the scanner so to get in the building it gives them access. Well, our access to God the Father is through Jesus Christ. As we pray this, we can only pray it based on Jesus' merit. What about his power and authority? I, that's not a mistake. It's got the same answer in that blank. <laughs> See Romans 5 through 8. Romans 5 through 8 is an amazing description of how powerful Jesus is and 
all the things that he has accomplished. Let me just give you a couple of the verses. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's powerful. If you're saved, you've been baptized into his death. You've been placed into Christ and you have been raised with Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore... There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Notice that singular, righteous requirement. This is not all the requirements of the law. There's one requirement of the law. The righteous requirement of the law is perfection. And guess what? Those who are in Christ are perfect in Christ. God is powerful. So when we're praying, when we're praying for somebody to be Christ-like, maybe... They're not acting very Christ-like right now. <laughs> and maybe as a human you go, man, I don't, I don't know if this prayer is going to get answered or not. I would say, pray in Jesus' name. Realize that God, through Christ, has done so much and he has power to change people. Well, finally, what about in line with his priorities and purposes? Is it God's priority? Is it God's purpose for people to be Christ-like? Absolutely. When we pray this way, we're just joining the triune God in his purposes. Romans 8, God the Father's here, God the Son is here, and God the Spirit is here. All of the God has is involved in this process for taking us who aren't saved and saving us and then... Boom, 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 all the way to glorification, which ultimately will be fully realized in heaven, but is happening along the way. So that's why we say, since God wants believers to be like Christ, we pray in Jesus' name when we pray for believers to be like Christ. I don't know if you ever look at the title of the sermon there on the worship folder. The title of this sermon is Health Jobs or Health Job and Decisions. And some of you might think, well, why is that the title of this sermon? And here's the reason. Sometimes it seems like most of our prayer requests and prayers relate to health, job, and decisions. You know, Lord, please give, please heal Johnny. He's not feeling well. Please give Sue a new job. Please help Amber decide which college to go to. Now, let me say that it's not wrong at all to pray about those things. All of us, if we're struggling with our health, appreciate when people pray, right? All of us 
if we have a job issue, we need a better job, a different job, or lose our job, we would like people to pray for us and so forth and making decisions. It's, it's okay to do all of that, but can I challenge us? And I'm challenging myself first to not let all of the praying or maybe not even the majority of the praying be about health, job, and decisions. What about praying for people to be like Christ? That's what God's doing. That's what God wants. That's why Jesus died. That's why the Holy Spirit is praying for you and me right now in accordance with the will of God. That's where we're going. And so what a joy, what a privilege it is to join in with what God is doing in this world by praying for people to be like Christ. And I know as I look at my prayer life, I've, I've spent a lot of time praying for those. And it's easy because those things are immediate and they're urgent and you see them and there's a need right now. And again, I'm not knocking those things. I'm just saying, I'm trying to bump up this side. <laughs> let's, let's pray for people to be like Christ. I just want to close by reading three very short prayers. I'm not even reading the whole prayer. Paul prayed this way a lot himself for believers. You read Paul's prayers. In fact, one of our 40 days of prayer a few years ago was all, we took six of Paul's prayers and we used that as our model. These are the kind of things that Paul prayed for. <clears throat> what about the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 1.11? He said, so we keep on praying for you. Asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Colossians 1, for the people that lived in Colossae. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. And those that lived in Philippi, the Philippians, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise. We you bow your heads with me, please? Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.